So how can I pray more effectively? I'm going to just share two uh, things with you this morning, two keys, if you will. And along the way, I'm going to do my best, which is pretty limited, to explain uh, each of these keys and just talk about them a little bit. Now, I'm going to warn you, each of these things could be like a month-long sermon in themselves, okay? So don't look at the clock. Don't worry. You'll eat eventually. I'm, I'm joking. We weren't that late in the first service. Uh, but um, but just remember, we, we celebrated with five baptisms this morning. It was awesome. So uh, so praise God. So, so don't worry about time. It's going to be good. Uh, but just two things I want to share with you. They're really, really big, important concepts uh, of how can I pray more effectively. And here's the first. Number one, number one. We pray more effectively, according to Scripture, when we pray according to God's will. Okay, According to, to the Scripture, as we read the Bible, we find out we actually pray more effectively when we're praying according to God's will. 1 John 5 says this. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God. Okay, This is the confidence. That's a big word there. We have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, remember, according to his will, we know that we have what we asked of him. That's a huge statement. That's like underline, highlight, mark the page worthy kind of a deal. That's a big deal. It's saying that, listen, if we ask for something um, according to God's will, God's going to give us that something if it's in accordance with God's will. And, and so that's a big deal. We pray more effectively when we pray according to God's will. And of course, guys, this is the kind of prayer that Jesus taught, isn't it? Remember the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Um, they asked him, Lord, how should we pray? And he begins to explain to them how to pray. And one of the things that he says there, Remember, he he says, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, now now listen, that's not the prayer you're to memorize. That's kind of the model for it. He says, when you pray and you ask for stuff, you need to say, hey, dad, I know that you have what's best, that, that you are the giver of everything that's good and perfect. I know that what you have is best, and I want that heavenly stuff. I want that better stuff. I want that best stuff to be here on earth now. Would your will... Be done here now, right? On earth, as it is in heaven, we want the best. Dad, that's what I'm asking for. I know what you have is better. And so so Jesus taught us to pray that way. The cool thing, though, is Jesus always practiced what he preached. He didn't just teach us to pray that way. Jesus' prayer life, he modeled this kind of prayer for us. Luke chapter 22, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, now listen, he's talking to his fellows and he's saying, hey guys, I, I'm, I am agonizing here. The weight of, of the sin of mankind, uh, past, present, and future is upon me and it is crushing me. And could you just stay awake for a couple of minutes here and help a brother out? Could you just pray for me? And they keep falling asleep. And so he keeps going to God and he's praying his heart and he's saying, dad, if you can take this cup from me, then, then do it. If you can let this cup pass, then please do it. He, he Literally, Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But he says, yet, yet not my will, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. See, Jesus modeled a God-centered, a God-focused, praying in accordance with God's will. He, he modeled that for us. I, w- I want you to take note. This is kind of a big deal. Praying in according 
in accordance with God's will doesn't mean that you can't tell God what you want. A lot of people think that, so they just don't even ask for anything of God anymore. They just say, okay, God, we'll let your will be done. And that's awesome, that's cool, but, but God still wants to hear you. Jesus, the model, is He said, hey, Dad... If you can take that, he still expressed his want, but, but, but here, praying in accordance with God's will doesn't mean that you don't express your want. It just means that in the end, the thing that you want most is that, that what God wants will be done more than what you want. That's what it means. So it means that you still ask, you still, hey, 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 dad, listen, if, if it's in your will to do this, that would be awesome, but I trust you that, that if, if that's not in your will, what I'm asking for, I trust you that you have something even better. That's going to bring you more glory. That's going to make you more famous. And that's going to make me more fulfilled. It's praying in accordance with God's will. And so clearly, man, just, just looking at the life of Jesus and, and disciples in the New Testament, we see that praying in accordance uh, to the will of God is important. And, and, and because of that, that kind of leads to a sub-question here, which is, if I'm supposed to pray in the will of God, then kind of, how do I know the will of God? Right? Have you ever thought that to yourself? Okay, I'm supposed to pray in accordance to God's will. Well, what is the will of God? Right? That's kind of the next question that we ask. And so just, uh, just kind of take a little tour with me. Uh, just a couple hints here to help you. Um, we, we know the will of God in a couple ways. One, God's word reveals to us. God's word reveals God's um, will for specific situations in our lives. And, and that specific is kind of important. God's word covers a whole lot of ground, folks. And, and, and the cool thing about God is, is God's black and white. Everybody thinks that, well, there's gray areas in the Bible. Well, there are some areas that are unaddressed, and we'll talk about those in a second. But there are many areas in life that are clearly and plainly addressed by Scripture, and which God commands, and which God illustrates, and He says, this is it. And First John tells us that God is light in Him. There is what? How much darkness? No, goose egg, no darkness at all. So God is light. And so we turn to God's word so that we can understand his will for specific situations. Right. And, 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 and follow me here. For instance, is, is it is it ever is there ever a time it's OK to steal? Right? Is there ever a time? There's not. There's never a time that it's OK to steal. How do we know that? Because God's word says don't steal. Right. Is there ever a time to lie? Well, well, well absolutely not. Now, hear me. The the the. The class that I hated the most in all of seminary, share with you, Christian ethics, because it was stupid. Uh, it was the most like I was going to use a word not necessarily church appropriate because of kids. Um, anyway, there's uh, there's there's a word for it out there, and it's really ridiculous. And I'll share that word with adults later. Um, th- this class, you would sit around and discuss things like this. If you were in a boat in the middle of the ocean. And you got distress calls from two different boats, one to the east and one to the west. Uh, ten miles to the east, your family is in a boat and it's sinking, your family. Ten miles uh, in the other direction, uh, there's, there's 130 people that are in a boat and they are sinking. They don't know the Lord. Which one do you go save? And I'm like, well, dude, I can give you biblical evidence for both cases. Okay, because God has made me the steward of my family. And, 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 and that is my commitment, of course. And then, well, what if my, if everybody in my family knows Christ, should I go save the ones that if they don't, they're gonna die and go to hell? Like, and you can have these conversations all over, God's provident, all these things, you know, blah, blah. Uh, who knows, my boat may break down halfway through the whole circumstance anyway, and everybody dies, right? Hallelujah! Glory, we're all going to be with Jesus, except for the 130 that don't know Him. Anyway, uh, 
you, you follow me? So, so it's just these ridiculous questions. And so here's one question, a very real question in our class. And they said, okay, so you're, you're, you're in a building and somebody runs in. They're terrified. They're running from their life. They're covered in blood. And they, go, they say, hide me, hide me, hide me. And you look and you're like, eh. And they go run and hide in a closet. Immediately following comes in an officer with a gun saying, have you seen anybody? What do you do? Do you lie and say no? Knowing that, that if, you, if you tell the truth, that person's surely going to die, right? And, and here's, here's my answer. Well, if you lie, how do you know that's not a criminal and that dude's not actually chasing a criminal? So, so how, how could we be in that situation? Here's my point. God's word tells me what to do. He says, don't lie. I'm God. I'm bigger than you. Tell the truth and I'll take care of it because I'm God. That's God's will. God's will is not. You should never lie. You get to your taxes later and you say, ah, this isn't too good. We're going to owe the government. Everybody else gets money from the government. Why shouldn't I? Yes, but no, you can't cheat. God's will for you is that you would not cheat, that you would not lie, that you would not steal. That's God's will for you. It's very clear. Let's talk about marriage for a second. Have more people come to my office asking about marriage than any other question in all of church. Most of the time they come to me because they're having problems. A lot of times they come to me because they're looking for excuses to get out of marriage. Okay? And so I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'll, I'll save you a trip, okay? Here's what the scripture says. Um, there are some biblical grounds for divorce. There are some. But you know what? Even when there are biblical grounds for divorce, do you know that God still hates divorce? That God's heart isn't that you get divorced just because your spouse cheats on you. I know it's heartbreaking. I know it's difficult, but that doesn't mean that you have to run and file the papers. And, and, and here's why. The Bible says that God only permits that because our hearts are hard. That's not God's will for you necessarily, right? And, and, and I have people come to me and they say, well, listen, my spouse doesn't cheat on me. I mean, they, they don't abuse me. None of those things are going on. But, but our marriage is just so dry and empty and we don't love one another. We don't even like each other. And you know what I look, I look at that person I, I just, and I just say to them, my brother, my sister in love, I want to tell you this and you're not going to like it, but I need you to hear me clearly. Your husband, your wife, that is God's will for your life. And they look at me in shock. You mean this dry marriage is God's will? No, not the dryness, but that person, your spouse, that you stood up before God and said, I do until I die. That is God's will for you now. But we got pregnant first. I don't care. Did you stand at the altar? Because guess what? You don't get to get a divorce. You don't get to commit another sin in order to take care of the first. That's not how it works. God's will for you is that individual. We know that because of God's word. We know that because of God's word. God's word says that, right? And so we have to come over. Now hear me, friends. There is grace. There is super abounding grace in Jesus. And, and, and every single person in this room has messed up in some place in life. Hear me. There is always grace here. But I'm telling you, when you understand the truth of God's word, that, that this is God's will, you don't get to walk away then anymore. You have to come up to the will of God. Do you know that the will of God, according to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 7, is that you be sanctified in Christ, that you're, you be holy and pleasing according with your body? It says you should avoid every type of sexual immorality. Every type. No pornography. No lust. Ladies don't get to read Fifty Shades of Grey. They don't get to go to the movie theater and see it. Guys don't get to look at porn on the internet. You don't get to look at ladies in bikinis. You can't look at the, 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 the you know, the guys say, well, I don't look at any of that. I just look at the, the, the bra section of the paper a little longer. That doesn't, that counts too. You don't get any of it. You don't get to think about it. Don't get to do it. Your body's holy and pleasing unto God, sanctified unto Him. That is God's will for you. Therefore, any of that other stuff is not, right? And you go, you go further. First Thessalonians 5, 8, get away from me. I will kill you. That'll be God's will for you. 
Look, God's will, yellow jacket. God's will, Jesus' name, be gone. Okay, uh, so God's will was that that sucker was going to die. It was not going to sting me, I promise. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.8. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, right? It is God's will. This is what it says. Listen, it is God's will that you be thankful in all circumstances. All right, negative Nancy, listen. And if your name's Nancy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean any offense by that. But you know what I'm saying, right? If, if the, the sour-faced Christians, those people that are negative about everything. We sat in camp, and I'm at Bible study with preteeners, and it's already too early in the, in the morning for me to be functioning well with all of these children. Uh, God bless them. And um, we're sitting there, and our group was awesome. And, and this kid behind me from another church, we're in Bible study, and every time the speaker said something, this kid said something negative. This kid had attitude up left field, down right field, up the middle. I mean, every, and I was just done. And so, like, I couldn't turn around and slap him because he wasn't one of our kids. And I couldn't slap our kids either because I signed a document. Not that I would, but, um, but I couldn't slap anything. So, so later I saw that kid and I said, hey dude, come here. You're in my Bible study, right? And, yes, sir. I said, you sat right behind me, didn't you? And every time the pastor said something, you said something negative. I said, in Jesus' name, stop it. Stop it. Because you're supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. In Christ Jesus, this is God's will for your life. Are you a pastor? Mm -hmm. Yep. But even if I wasn't, that's God's will for your life. That's what His Word says. Okay? So, so, so that's what we have. So we start, God's Word gives us His specific will. Now check this out. You say, but there's all these things that God's Word doesn't address. You're right. There are tons of circumstances. We are so fallen as humanity. We've gotten into a lot of places that God probably never intended us to be. There's a lot of places that the Bible may not address something. So what do we do there? Here we go. God's character fills in the blanks regarding situations that the Bible doesn't directly address. God's, we turn to God's character. What is the character of God? Who is God? What would He do? Right? We're asking those questions. And, and not even just bad stuff, just normal stuff, right? The Bible is not going to address specifically, for instance, whether or not you should take this new job. It's not going to specifically address whether or not you should buy that new car or, or, or you should serve in this new ministry of the church. It's not going to specifically address that, but it is, but it is going to guide you regardless when you think about the character of God and who he is, right? God is good. He's loving. He's gracious. He's holy. He, he's our father. He's our redeemer, our savior and our king, just to name a few. So, so let's look at the new job for a second. Let's say that um, there's a new job opportunity. You're going to get a massive raise and you're thinking, man, college, all that stuff, that's going to be awesome. I'm going to get a massive raise, but, but that massive raise is going to require you to spend hours and hours and hours, countless hours away from your family. You say, what, what, what is God's will for that? What is God's will for that? Well, here's the deal. So we think about God, uh, first and foremost, as our loving Father who loves us and pursues us. And, and, and get this, who loves us so much, He wants to constantly be with us. So let's start there. Okay, that's our image of Father. Then we understand that our Father is King, and His kingdom, uh, according to Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is, is literally upside down. His kingdom is 180 degrees from everything that we would think and we would pursue. And, and, and so in his kingdom, he says this. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
This is, this, is, this is just God. This is the character of who he is. He says, listen, I care more about eternal stuff than all this temporary stuff. You look at Jesus, he had no place to lay his head. You're starting to put one and two and three together. And so you pray something like this. Father, um, I have this new job opportunity, but it's going to require tons of time away from my wife and away from my children, whom you've made me the head of this household. And, 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 and God, I, my fear is uh, I need you uh, to help me out here. Am I investing more in this world or am I investing more in eternity and, and in their salvation and those kind of things? I think even as you start to pray that prayer, God answers it as you're praying and you're like, uh, yeah. Okay. Now listen, maybe later in life you get to a situation, you get to take that promotion and kids are out of the house and your wife wants you out of the house a little more. And you know what I'm saying? She said, I'd like you to travel a little bit. That'd be awesome. You're driving me nuts. And, uh, and you, and you get to do, and that's fine, right? But we pray about it, and we pray about it in line with God's character and who He is. You know, we can even think about new cars. And listen, I'm fine with new cars, and there's all kinds of debates. Right now, you may buy a new car because you can get it for 0% down, right? Or 0% financing, or or 0.9 or whatever. And you buy a used car, and it's 3.8. Whatever you math majors, finance people, go figure it out. But... Here's the other deal. I also know that evidently trucks are now BMWs and Cadillacs, right? Because you can now buy trucks that are $60,000. That's dumb. I, I, I love me a truck. I want a pickup truck so bad. I tell my wife, I want a new pickup truck. She's like, they're sixty grand. Minivans are like forty. I'm like, that's... Oh, don't get me started. Anyway, so here's the deal. So, I, hey, we, we know we need a vehicle. Um, like, ours is getting old. It's not reliable anymore. We need a vehicle. So you go, and, and, and this is what you do. And you, can, you know that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And, and so you, you kind of pray, like, God, do you want to gift me with $500 a month car payment? Because you know that God's a giver, and you know that he's called you to be a giver, too. And so I, I would pray along these lines, God, can I be a generous giver? Um, like, can, can I meet anybody's needs above and beyond my basic tithe if, I, if, I'm, if I'm chained to a $500 a month car payment? Can I do that? For me, it's real simple. I don't know about your finances, but for me, that answer is no. For me. And so for me, it's, hey, I do need a vehicle, but you know what? I could probably get one that's a step down that's been actually driven off the parking lot before. I can get it a lot cheaper, and, and I can get it with a, a few fewer bells and whistles. Kind of like I can live in a smaller house. And I can, I, can, I can do with going out on my friend's boat. I don't have to own one of those. You following me? And, and so we pray, God, what is your character? God, you've called me to be a good steward. You're a good steward of all things. How can I do that? Now, hear me. There's going to be some situations that you're just going to still feel like, I don't know. So what do you do there? Ready? God's good. You present your case to God. <laughs> God, I've been praying about it. I've been thinking about who you are and what you're doing. I still don't know. By the way, that may mean that you don't read your Bible enough if you don't know what God would do yet. I'm just saying, you might want to learn more about God. It may just help you, you know, be beneficial. So uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But, but, but seriously, there are some things you just really don't know. Like, Lord, I just don't know. This doesn't. I don't find anything that addresses this. I don't know what to do. So here's what you do. Present your case to God. And this is the way that I would handle that. I would present my case to God and say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this but again but here's the deal lord that's the door i would open if that's not your will slam it in my face because i'm an idiot and that's what i'm gonna need right that's how i pray i'm like god i'm not smart like i don't pick up on things and hints and clues like my wife when she said you know hey man it's been a while since we've been out like i don't understand like oh like i should ask you out on a date like that i need her she has to put it on the calendar she needs to call the babysitter then i'll isn't that terrible? That's bad, isn't it? I'm, I'm confessing. I'm confessing. But, you know, I'm not real good on those hints, you know. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. And so I say to God, God, listen, I'm an idiot. 
And, and here's what I'm thinking, but I know that you know what's best and you have what's better. So listen, if what I'm thinking is not cool, shut that door, make it obvious unto me and you open another door and I'll go that way gladly, gladly. And so we pray in accordance with God's will. And that's what it means to pray in God's will. Okay, second, number two. Number two, we pray more effectively when we pray in faith. When we pray in faith, all right? Mark eleven twenty four 24 says this. Uh, if, we, if we follow, it says this. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And I've underlined and kind of highlighted that uh, that word have because it's kind of interesting. Now, I don't usually do this. I don't usually break down, um, you know, voice and tense and all that kind of stuff. But I'm going to do it today with this one particular word. Uh, uh, just like English, Greek has a tense and a voice and a mood. Now, here's the cool thing. This word have, uh, it's in the present tense. That, that means now, not later. Okay, so it's saying when you pray in faith, uh, you need to believe that you now have it right now, not later, not like, hey, I'm praying. Oh, God, I know you'll give it to me eventually. No, no, no. Like, bam, I have it. I've laid hold of it right here. So it's in the present tense. The voice is active, which means it's not something that's going to happen unto you, but it's something that, 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 that it's active. It's happening, right? It's not passive. And, and the mood is indicative, which this is cool. It means there's no contingency for anything else. When I pray in faith, I'm praying, believing that I'm laying hold of it right now and there is no plan B. You follow that? That's huge. That's what it means to pray in faith. It means literally that therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, that that you believe you've laid hold of it and you don't have any other backup plan. (laughs) Wow. That's that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. And and, uh, I I want you to see with me, this is what I learned at preteen camp. Everybody learns something at camp if they pay attention, right? So this is what I learned or what I was reminded of at preteen camp. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. Because we're talking about praying in faith. Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith, Hall of Fame of faith, all these great men and women. So I'll let you turn there for a second. Bible drillers, you only have eight seconds to find it and put your finger in that place. No? Okay. It, it's cheating on the iPhone, by the way. It's just way too easy. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, he, he says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I, I just want you to see this because this is, this is so key. Faith is a verb. Like, right, you're the tattoo person, go get it. Like, this is one tattoo worthy. I mean, really, faith is a verb. See, see, it says, listen, it says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what all the ancients were commended for. And I want you to see this, that faith is a verb. It's an action word. That's why James can say in James 2.17, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. He says, like, faith without works, that's how you've probably heard it, is dead. Because faith is an action word. Um, Faith is the parable of the Good Samaritan. You remember that parable, right? Jesus is around and some teachers of law come up to him and they want to kind of disprove him. They're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, great teacher. What's the greatest of the commandments? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says, and you know what? The second slack it, love your neighbor is yourself. And, and, and then some smart aleck goes, oh yeah, well, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus tells a parable and he says, there's a man that's walking down the road and, and, he's, and he's robbed and he's stripped naked and he's beaten uh, almost to death. And he says, then a priest walks by 
on the other side of the road, does nothing. Guess what? Then a Levite walks by. Both of those are men of the faith, by the way. Walk by and does nothing. Then a Samaritan, a half-breed, if you would, a, a dog, as they considered him, walks by, sees him, picks him up, cleans his wounds, takes him to an inn, says, listen, I'm going to pay for you to take care of him. And if he goes over what I've paid you, I will come back and pay you the balance. And he says, now, which of these was a brother to him? Which of these loved him? And the answer is the third. And I'm going to tell you the reason why the implication there is that the Samaritan was the only man of faith. The other two were men of faith by title only. The Samaritan is the one that possessed it because faith is a verb. Because faith is a verb. If you read on through Hebrews uh, 11, you, you find that out very, very quickly. Praying, therefore, let's bring it back to prayer. Praying in faith, therefore, involves all of your faculties. I'm going to walk you through it, okay? Number one, praying in faith involves your mind. Ready? In your mind, you must have belief. Okay? What is belief? Belief is head knowledge. That's what it is. Belief is head knowledge, right? I have been told and studied that a chair has four legs, it has a high back, and it has a place to put your rump. That's what I've been told. Okay? This, to me, seems to fit that description. It's not a sofa, it's not a love seat, and it's not a recliner. I believe this to be a chair. Do you agree with me? Okay. I believe it to be a chair. Now, do I have faith in it? I don't really have faith in it if I'm not willing to sit down in it. I don't have faith yet, but I believe it to be a chair. Now, that's head knowledge. Head knowledge is belief, okay? Then we move on. Let's cover some more faculties, okay? Let's talk about our heart. Now, our heart has to do with trust. Coolest thing I heard at camp this week was, uh, was somebody told the pastor, it was a little kid, went up to the pastor and he said, Hey, pastor, do you know how far it is from heaven to hell? You know the distance between heaven and hell. And, and the pastor's like, well, we don't even know what dimension those are in. And we don't know, you know, and I don't know if you can see. And he's kind of getting all difficult. And the kid goes, 18 inches. He says, 18 inches. That's the average distance between your head and your heart. That's the difference between heaven and hell. Because it's not enough to believe in Jesus. You have to trust in Jesus. And trust is when you, you, you understand, hey, you know what? That's a chair. I believe that's a chair. But when I trust in that chair is when I actually put my full weight upon it. And he said, that's what salvation is about, right? And, and, and so when it comes to praying, we can't just believe uh, that, that, that Jesus and, and that God and, and the Holy Spirit, we can't just believe that they're going to do. We have to trust that they're going to do. And hear me, trust always leads to the next thing, which involves your body body and it's called action because faith is a verb because faith is a verb read hebrews 11 and you 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 see these crazy things abel offered that's a verb that's an action word it it says noah built that's an action and, and hear me built for days and days and days i mean can you imagine how long it took him to build the ark for crying out loud and there's never been rain there's god listen something's gonna happen a rain's a coming, and you're sitting there building it, and everybody and their brother and sister is telling you you're a moron, right? I mean, you're the dumbest person on earth. What do you think you're doing? He's just, we're here with hammer and nails, and he's building the biggest boat that there's ever been, and, and he's trusting, he's trusting that God is gonna do it. You see, he, he believes in God, he sat down that God is true, and his word is true, and he's doing something about it. Face the verb, and so he's acting on it. You think about Abraham, right? Abraham left. God showed up and said, hey, Abraham, 
I'll make you a father of many nations. I've been praying for a kid forever, he says to God. I mean, it's like, seriously? Yep, yep, descendants more numerous than the sand uh, on the shore. And he's going, wait a second, how, how's it? And, but he says, Abram, you got to get up and go. So what does he do? Does he sit there and just keep praying like most of us? Well, Lord, okay, I'll trust you if. God, I'll, I will if. No, God says, hey, it's me, God, I tell you to go. So he said, hey, honey, we got to pack. And he left. Later, Abraham offered, it says, he offers his one and only son, Isaac. How do you do that? hundred years old, God has finally given you the son of your desire. And how do you raise a knife getting ready to plunge it into his heart? You only do it. You only act that way because you have ultimate trust that God, even if you kill your son, will raise him from the dead. <laughs> right? And, 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 and so praying in faith, um, praying in faith is, is praying in a manner in which we believe that the matter is settled. It, praying in, in a manner in which we have a God-given assurance and confidence, and, and, and then it's, it's trust to act on that settled matter even before we can see the results. Even before we can see the results. And that's what, what, what praying in faith is about. I'll just tell you, you can't do that with a bad attitude. You just can't. You can't. It's impossible to pray in faith with a bad attitude. If you're one of those critical spirit people, you're going to have to kill the critical spirit because it will, it will attack your faith and you'll never pray in faith. You'll never act on your prayer life because you always are cynical and critical that God will be able to do it. And, and it'll cripple your prayer life. Do you hear me? Like, this is yes, this is no, this is I'm not sure where we are. You follow me? Your attitude will cripple your prayer life. So what do we do? Three things and we'll be done. Ready? Number one. Hey, we had baptism. Don't blame this long service on me, right? Ah, uh, joking. It was awesome. Ah, uh, we're going to baptize some more folks next week. You should come back. Um, number one, you got to know the word. Why do I have to know the word? Right? Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it says, then you will be able to know. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect, and pleasing will. How can I know the will of God? How can I pray the will of God? Well, by having my mind transformed. How does that happen? By being in the Word of God. The Word of God transforms our mind and aligns our thoughts and our processes uh, in line with God's. It refreshes. Why do you think you feel so different when you leave church? Like when you come to church and you leave church and you're like, oh, that was so good. It's because God's renewed your mind towards the things of the kingdom, right? That's why it's a good thing to make church attendance a priority. So you got to know the word. Number two, you have to trust God. You got to trust God. Guys, some of you, and I say this to you in love, some of you are eight, some of you are in your 80s, uh, and that's all cool. Uh, black, white, young, old, everything in between. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. That's just religion. To have head knowledge about Jesus is just religion. And according to the Bible, a lot of people will have head knowledge about Jesus. And they will come to him on one day and go, oh yeah, you're that guy. You're Lord. You're Lord. And he's going to say to them, away from me, I knew you not. You never trusted me. You never sat down. You never trusted me. Some of you here, you have head knowledge about Jesus. You were Maybe you were raised in a church where they taught. You, maybe you had to go through a confirmation even, right? You have a lot of head knowledge about Jesus, but you have never trusted Jesus to save you. You need to sit down and trust Jesus, okay? You've just got to, all right? And finally, I just say this, you've got to act in faith. The church today, here's where we're losing the battle. 
We don't act in faith. We don't believe God. We, we say, hey, well, I believe God. Yeah, I trust God. I'm trusting with my salvation. We pray really big prayers and we do nothing about them. We pray really big pa- prayers. And then when we open the front door, we act like God's not big enough to fulfill those things. <laughs> pray in faith and then step out believing God's going to do what you've asked him to do because it's in accordance with his will and you've prayed it in faith. And you will find your prayer life flourish. Like, like, like a seed when it sprouts up in the garden after it's only been there a couple days, you're like, oh my gosh, look at that sucker. Pray this way and you're going to see God just, just expand your prayer life like you couldn't believe. Would you guys pray with me now? Let's bow our heads. Uh,